Welcome to episode number 218 of the Effortless Swimming Podcast. On this episode, I was recently a guest on the Keezer podcast, and they have a podcast called Healthy to 100. And I was a guest on there for two episodes, and this is the first episode that they published on their own show. And I thought it'd be great to be able to just publish this on our own podcast because I think a lot of this information you'll really enjoy. It's pretty much going back to basics with freestyle, with swimming, and we look at what matters, what's worth knowing, what's worth doing when it comes to freestyle. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Now, if you're listening on perhaps iTunes or Spotify, if you haven't left us a review, that's the one thing that I ask of you to do because when you leave us a review, that helps us get found by more people when they're searching in their podcast app. So if you haven't left us a review, I would love it if you could do me a favor and just leave us an honest, hopefully positive review of the podcast. So thanks very much for listening. And here is the episode. It was with Tim Detman from Keezer. And Keezer's a physio and a gym based in Australia. They've got a, a bunch of locations around the country and uh, i'm a big fan of what they do so uh, i appreciate them having me on the on the show and uh yeah go check them out healthy to 100 here's the episode welcome to the effortless swimming podcast the show that helps swimmers and triathletes love the water become a better swimmer and live a better life here's your host brenton ford and Ford, thank you very much for joining us on Healthy to 100. Mate, I'm really looking forward to this chat today. Being a Bondi boy and getting out in the water this morning, going for a swim, I need some help with my swimming technique, mate. Well, you hopefully you've come to the right person. I appreciate you having me on, Tim. Brenton, uh, before we get started, uh, lots of our, our listeners really keen to hear more about swimming, but can you just give everyone a little bit of, of your background for us, please? I started at a really young age in the water. My granddad used to run the mall swimming pool in Victoria. And so I was always around there when I was growing up. And then my, so he was a coach. My dad was a coach and he coached me when I was a teenager. And mum and dad runners learned to swim business at the moment. And I somehow, I don't know how, fell into coaching and, <laughs> uh, and started, uh, I started coaching when I went to university. So I was coaching there at Melbourne Uni for, I think, two years and really enjoyed it and eventually started a business in that area where I started running clinics and looking to focus mostly on uh, underwater filming and technique and now work with with adults uh, to help them swim faster and a bit more efficiently. Um, but as a, as a kid, I made a few national age group finals. So I did all right there, but I just love the coaching side of it. And I've done that for the last 15 years now. And uh, I wouldn't want wouldn't to stop either. It's just, I, I'm lucky that I get to marry my passion of swimming uh, along with also I think running a business and and helping a lot of people just become better swimmers so yeah done it for quite a while now but it's it's funny how things happen I never planned that as a kid to to start coaching but you, know, you just gravitate to what you love and uh, I'm glad I get to do it. Brenton I'm, I'm glad you eventually there got to a little bit of your success um, as a swimmer I thought you were just going to completely gloss over it and I was going to have to pull you up so you are a <laughs> swimming coach today but you've, you were a national level um, elite swimmer before you got to that. So um, tell us a little bit about what was, what was the peak of your career? What was the achievement from a, um, an elite perspective uh, that you're most proud of? Yeah, the, the, my best result was fifth in the 400 IM at, at national age championships. And uh, the reason for that, the reason why I think that was my best success was I had this time in mind that I wanted to do. And 12 months out, I started visualizing it 
almost every day and I put the training in, put the work in. And when it came to the, the final at nationals, I, I, I was about half a second off that time, but like everything pretty much came together, what I visualized for, for that race. And um, so I was really proud of, proud of that. And uh, yeah. And, and then after that, I went on and uh, I was just off Olympic trials. I was about 0.1 second. Yeah. 0.1 of a second off qualifying for Olympic trials, but um, yeah. And, and then I started, I did a season of triathlon as well, where I built up and did a full Ironman as a bucket list thing to tick off before I had kids and really enjoyed that as, as well. And so I broke the, I broke the age group swim record in that, in that event over in New Zealand. And I definitely went out pretty hard in the swim for the Ironman and probably burnt quite a few candles <laughs> before the bike and the run, but my ego was on the line there. So I, yeah, I went pretty hard in the swim with a, about another nine hours to go in the race, but I didn't <laughs> care. I still won the swim out of a couple thousand people and uh, was proud of that. And then just suffered for the next nine hours. Brenton, I, I love an Ironman story and, and Taupo's a, a beautiful Ironman. I could talk about that all day, but I, I did want to touch on your elite experience because I love the idea that you've come from an elite background and I want to ask you how many training sessions you were doing and stuff like that, but that you're, you're taking those lessons and applying them to your, your weekend warrior, to, to your average Joe. And that's such a big part of this podcast is I firmly believe that the training principles that applied to you as an elite swimmer apply in a diluted fashion, obviously for time and cost reasons and all those things, but they apply to, you know, I treated a patient earlier this morning um, who's focusing on the open water series up here in Sydney. And I'm sure that's kind of the everyday person that you're looking after. So um, just, to, just quickly, when you're at your peak, uh, how many swimming sessions, how, how many strength sessions you're doing per week? How many hours do you reckon you're devoting to your performance? Yeah, so when I was training full-time and, and racing at national level, it was was eight or nine swim sessions a week with, I think we're doing three gym there. So it was, it was pretty full on. And this is always school. And there was a many times where I fell asleep in class and got pulled up on it. And, uh, and, but now obviously it's a bit more about coaching and those sorts of things. So at the moment I swim three to four times a week. And uh, when I'm in my normal routine, try and do two, two gym sessions. And along with that, I'll, I'll do some runs and that sort of thing as well. But I think for, you know, for people who are probably working full-time, maybe they're semi-retired. Um, yeah, I, I train with a lot of people who are in that stage of their life. And yeah, definitely some of those principles that the elite swimmers are incorporating into their, their training, they certainly apply for, for those that, that might be swimming a, a couple of times a week and not competing at that level, but they're still doing it like the, the open water series up there in Sydney. So I think one of the, those principles is just consistency. Swimming is one of those things where if you take, if you're be swimming a couple of times a week, usually, and you take one or two weeks out, the first thing that you'll notice when you get back in is you tend to lose that feel for the water that, that people talk about. And swimming's like, like no, almost like no other sport where you just lose that, that feel for it pretty quickly compared to say running or, or maybe riding. Like, yeah, you might lose a bit of fitness in those ones, but swimming, you just tend to, um, it feels like it takes another week or two to get back into it. So consistency is really important. And also just um, managing your, your load and your, um, your work throughout the, the week. So the swimmers that can just be consistent with it and not have one huge session within the week and they 
will then be so fatigued or they might injure themselves because they've just gone too hard in, in the one session and then they're out for maybe a week. Um, it's those that can just sort of manage their, their load throughout those, those sessions that um, tend to, to do really well. So it's, um, I've certainly been there where I've wanted to go really hard in one session and I blow up and I injure myself and, and then I'm out for a little while. So it's, um, you know, just making sure that you are in tune with your workload throughout the, the week. Um, and then just, I think technique as well. And that's obviously what I specialize in when I'm coaching, but with, with technique, it like swimming is such a technical sport that without, without that, then it doesn't matter how hard you work, you're going to be, you know, you, you're probably going to be uh, working a lot harder than you need to. And the, the, one of the biggest complaints I get from people is particularly I work with triathletes and they're super yeah. fit, super yeah. fit. And then they'll say, oh, I'll, I'll keep getting passed by this guy in the next lane. Who's like, he's got 30 kilos on me and he does not look fit at all. And I know I'm fitter than him, but he just glides past me. And it's a frustration that they have. So it's just, it's technique that, that really comes down to it. But yeah, I'd love to touch on that. And for everyone listening, we're going to do two podcast episodes. We're going to talk a bit about technique now, and then we're going to come back to some of the wider training principles of swimming afterwards. Technique as a physio, Brenton, it's so interesting seeing swimmers and talking to swimmers about that experience that you just, just mentioned there. Because the thing that worries me is, well, for that person who is swimming slower and probably inefficient is, is probably the description we would both use, is where are they then overloading their joints or which part of their body are they overloading? Because that's going to be the one that breaks down. So let's start with, with an example, mate. Like you, your, average, your average swimmer, um, you know, wants to improve their speed and their efficiency a little bit. So they might be, let's say they're 50, they come to see you, um, what are some of the common technique problems that, that you come across and that you see on an everyday basis? Yep. So there's, there's quite a few that, that stand out. The first one I'll start with would just be head position. So if someone's swimming and they typically have a sore lower back, usually they're going to be looking too far forwards with their head position. And head position in swimming is a little bit different than what you might've been taught of several you know, years ago, I, I used to get taught you, you should be looking straight down. Like that's the only place to look, but there's a range you should look at. You can look anywhere from straight down to about 45 degrees in, in front. If you consider looking straight out in front as being 90 degrees. So zero to 45 degrees is kind of where we, we want to be. And when we do that, we want to make sure that you're lengthening through the back of your neck. Like you're sort of lengthening through your spine uh, and imagine you've got good posture when you do it as well. Uh, because in that, in that position, you'll generally have, good body position so you'll have your head and your hips up near the um near the surface there um, but head position is one that we usually start with because if you're looking a long way forwards your legs are going to drop and then the amount of resistance or drag that that creates it's very hard to overcome it so head positions are a really good place to start with and then and another the people brent sorry brenton the, the people that come to see you i mean you just you just said you're about your posture in the water now all of my patients think about their posture sitting and standing how many people have actually thought about their posture in the water by the time they come to you i'd say probably no one unless they've heard <laughs> it in a video that i've done or you know they've had a coach tell them about it it's a funny one isn't it like you would never really consider posture aside from maybe if you're walking or you know sitting but yeah it is so important in in swimming and you probably i mean you'd know this as a as a physio when you've got good posture 
your shoulder blades are in that position where you can use those stronger muscles through your back and through your shoulders. And it's the same thing when you swim with the right posture. Often we'll find people will hunch over and they'll round their shoulders in order to try and power themselves through the water and pull themselves through, but it compromises the, the position that they're in. So they're not often using their, their lats and their, um, that those muscles between the shoulder blades, like upper and lower traps and, and rhomboids and those sorts of things. It's hard when they've got that poor posture. So it's one of the first things that we cover when we are working with people is have that good posture. And if someone is swimming with poor posture, like straight away, they notice it. They feel like, oh, okay, this is actually a lot easier. I'm not feeling like I'm having to muscle my way through the water. So it's, uh, it's not thought about much, but if you get that posture right and head position right, it takes care of like the most of your body there because then you've got this little bit of tautness or tension through your body where you'll be able to keep fairly stable through your, through your torso and hips and head. And that way you're going to cut through the water so much better than if you're like a, a snake zigzagging through the water. So um, those like basic things to get right, it, it makes a world of difference for those that haven't got them in place. So one more question on head posture then. Uh, we've talked a little bit uh, about open water series up here in Sydney, which would be the same down in Melbourne at the moment, but there'll also be quite a few pool swimmers who are listening to this. So does my head position differ in the pool compared to an open water where I need to see and get my head above the waves? Yeah. So you're going to be, yeah, you're going to what a site when you go to the open water. Uh, so obviously you're going to look up and then turn your head to the side. So siding, you've got to do it and your head will lift up then. But when you're not sighting, just make sure you keep the eyes somewhere in that range. And it, it depends on the person. It's so individual with your head position. There's not one right position for everyone. But I often encourage my triathletes and open water swimmers to look somewhere in that upper range, close to 45, because then you've got better awareness around what's happening in front of you if you're in the ocean. You might be able to see someone's feet if you're close to them, or you, know, you can sort of see what's ahead rather than if you're looking straight down. So that's where I encourage most people to go. So don't feel like you have to look straight down because uh, you'll often feel a bit more comfortable if you can look, look slightly forwards and it's certainly acceptable to be in that sort of range. Yeah. Okay. So I've got my head position right and I'm somewhere between directly down to 45 degrees forwards. Um, what's then the next step in trying to build or correct someone's technique? Then another thing we look at is alignment in the water. So I'd say... If I had 10 people come to me, five of those will be crossing over when they enter the water. So as your arm comes over the top of the water and then your hand goes to enter it, that's what we call the, or that's the entry part of the stroke. And about half the swimmers that I see are, are crossing the center as that hand reaches forwards out in front of them. So it crosses the middle of their body. So one of the things we want to try and do there is what we call swim on train tracks. As in, if you imagine you've got these train tracks that are in line with your ears, Every time you enter the water, you want your left hand to enter in line with your left ear and extend straight forwards out in front of you. So you're following those train tracks every time you're entering and reaching forwards. And that way you'll typically swim a lot straighter than if you're crossing over and it can get rid of a lot of other faults in the stroke. So that's one of the things that we work with with swimmers who come to our clinics in the beginning is just getting on those train tracks and, and swimming straight uh, because yeah, things just are a lot easier. Uh, when you when you do that and the funny thing about that is if you do cross over and the way you can tell that is if you look forwards when you swim have a look and see what your arms are doing as you're reaching forwards and if they are crossing over and it's it's really common 
then try to correct it to get them on those train tracks. But when you go to change it, if you were crossing over, you've often got to exaggerate it to the point where you don't believe you should be that wide. Like it's like you probably see in like any sort of um, practice that you do that proprioception sometimes isn't great. So we have to have swimmers just swim in a way where they feel like this cannot possibly be the correct thing to do, but it's just, it's because it's different than what they've done for perhaps many years. And uh, yeah, they get used to it after a couple of weeks, but sometimes we have to get them to stretch those boundaries of what they think they should be doing uh, because it's just different than what they're used to and um, takes a while to get used to it. Yeah, absolutely. And so for all those listeners uh, who don't know what proprioception is, proprioception is about your body's awareness of where it is in space. So, you know, you might think that you're not crossing over, which Brenton's just described, and then Brenton shows you a video and you're crossing right over. So your you know, left hand is getting in line with your right shoulder by the time it's entering the water. And that's, I suppose that's the value of video analysis for technique. Like whether we're talking uh, swimming or, or tennis or golf or, or anything, like you just need some feedback outside of your, your own body because you can convince yourself that you're doing something you're not quite doing can't you oh absolutely and it's the thing about getting video especially for swimming a lot of people will they think about and go i don't really want to see myself either in bathers or i don't want to see what my stroke looks like because i like i don't think it's going to look pretty and so there's a bit of hesitation there but i think it's just like ripping off a band-aid it might hurt a little bit at the start but it is it's just worth doing because you can have such a huge benefit and improvement once you actually just take a look at, at how you're swimming and it's kind of like when i went to um i went to uh, keys maybe two or three months ago when i first started there i did some testing and i was one of the in, like internal external shoulder rotation i did some testing there and um i thought like yeah swimmer i'm gonna be pretty good at this yeah, i did the yeah. testing and it was embarrassing i was like like 40th percentile or whatever it was like it was it was pathetic and I, I had an excuse, I hadn't swum for a while because of lockdowns and stuff. <laughs> but let's be honest, I, I probably wouldn't have changed things much. But once I actually, you know, found out how poor I was with it, then I could get to work and start improving it. And it was, you know, it was, it was start improving a lot from where it was. So rip that bandaid off. And that's one of the reasons that we wanted to have you on this podcast, Brenton, is your approach to uh, being data-based and being objective. Because a really big part of our philosophy at Keyser is, you know, test things, work out where they're at, and then try and address them. But I look after heaps of golfers as well. So golf's a really common sport, um, just like swimming is for my patients. But golfers, as soon as they go to their golf pro, they're on a video straight away and the golf pro is you know, drawing lines and they're doing track man and there's, they're looking at different angles. Do you reckon it, it is just the idea of seeing yourself in swimmers that people don't want to do video analysis with swimming or is it less known or why doesn't everyone just accept it like they do in golf? Uh, I think it's partly, partly that like that under the underwater shot from the side, like if anyone's sort of self-conscious about their, their body at all, sometimes that can put them off a bit, but like no one really, no one really cares about that. You know, if you, if other people are sort of watching, watching it. Um, but I think it's just like, you, it exposes that you've got areas to improve. And sometimes if you've done something for a long time, you've been happy with it, you know, you can, it's easy to just continue on that path. So I think that's, that's part of it. So it's like knowing that you might not be perfect with where you are and it might mean it's going to open you up to something different that you might have to do. And uh, 
yeah, so change change can feel hard sometimes. So that's that's where I think it it, it comes from. But then I, I do have a lot of athletes who come to me who they're like, I know something's not right and I just want to fix it. Like, just help me because what I'm doing right now is hard and it's not fast and there's got to be a solution to it. So, you know, sometimes it's about uh, being in a, in a place where you just, you're not satisfied with it, then you're much more willing to, uh, yeah, to, to take that step. Whereas if things are, things are okay, it's not enough of a frustration for you to take that next step sometimes. Yeah, so that's a good point. So I imagine by the time I've corrected my head position and my arms are on train tracks that I'm creating a lot less drag in the water. I'm swimming a little bit faster. There's a little bit le- less load on, on all of my joints because they're not fighting the whole time. Um, what's the next step that you look at in technique correction? Yep, well, then... There's, there's quite a few things that we do look at, but the next primary thing that we will often want to improve with people is their catch and pull. And you can just think of that as what are your arms doing when they're in the water? So the catch is like the first third, roughly first third of when the arm moves through the water. And then the pull would be the rest of it. And one of the most important things that we want to work on is what we call a high elbow catch. And I used to tell us more about the high elbow catch because if you do any reading on swimming technique, it's one of the first things um, that you'll come up. And usually there'll be a video of Brenton Ford associated with it. (laughs) But uh, just describe everyone for everyone the high elbow catch. Yep. So the high elbow catch, and another kind of term for it is early vertical forearm, EVF. You might see that come up if you look at it online. And they're not bad ways to describe it. But I think it tends to confuse people a bit and get them trying to do the wrong thing. So the, the high elbow catch doesn't mean that your elbows should be high in the water up near the surface. That's not what a high elbow catch is. It's just this position in the water where uh, your arms out in front, your fingers are pointing down and we want to have our elbow uh, forward, almost like forward. So our hand and forearm is, is sort of uh, vertical in a way, not completely vertical, but it's, it's in that sort of direction. So then your hand and forearm is angled in a way to press back against the water. So it's a little difficult to describe on a, on a podcast. I'm much better working with video, obviously, but um, the high, yeah, with the high elbow, high elbow catch, to me, that's the, the 20% of the stroke that can give you 80% of the results or improvement for a lot of people. So it's a really important part of the stroke to get right. And it's not something that will happen overnight if you haven't got it at the moment. It, it certainly takes some practice, but it's a skill that really that it, that's worth focusing on. If you feel like you haven't got much propulsion in the water and like when you move your arms, not much is happening. Uh, yeah, getting that catch sorted is a, is a really key one to, to do. And uh, yeah, high elbow is an elbow near the surface. So don't try and um, pull through really shallow. It's what I used to do as a kid. I thought, oh, high elbow, okay, it must mean up there without any understanding of it. Um, so it's no wonder I didn't get faster when I was <laughs> trying to do that. I guess for people listening, the alternative, one of the alternatives possibly would be, you know, trying to swim with a completely straight arm the whole time. And so your hand would end up really deep in the water and you'd be trying to use your whole arm for propulsion as opposed to predominantly your hand and forearm, which is what you're describing. Yeah, that's right. It, actually, not a good way to, to think of it is we want to avoid it 
what would be a dropped elbow catch where the elbow is quite, quite low in the water. And if you think of driving a car, most people, if you've got your 10 and two position with your hands on the steering wheel, your elbows will be down sort of near your ribs, somewhere down near there. That's like, like a dropped elbow position. Uh, if, if you were doing that similar position when you were swimming. And so we want to go in the opposite direction. So instead of having that 10 and two position, imagine you're like a, like a P plater driving down the main street, trying to show off in front of people, you've got your elbow up in the, in the other direction. That's kind of what we want to do for our high elbow catch. So it's like a, a P plate driving position when we get that catch and that will get the hand and forearm in the right, right position. Um, no, that's, so I, uh, <laughs> it's a great description. There's going to be plenty of people in the pool uh, in the next couple of days thinking about driving a probably a VN Commodore or something <laughs> like that uh, down the street when they're 19 with the P plates on. And I imagine most, yeah, uh, like most of the people I work with, they're well past that uh, the P plate stage. But, uh, you know, it's, it's okay to revisit that sometimes and uh, get back to your childhood a little bit. Brenton, I've got a couple of specific questions. Um, and I imagine you would get these all, all the time where people say, you know, I've got shoulder pain um, in, when I swim. Uh, how do I fix my technique? And so I don't quite want to ask that question because I've, I've been asked it too many times myself and I think it's unfair. But as a, as a generalisation um, I imagine shoulder injury is a pretty common thing that, that you see. And when someone does have a shoulder injury, what do you look at as a coach? What are some of the things that uh, people might be able to start doing? Yeah, there's, there's a, probably two key ones that I've, I see all the time. And when people come to me and they say, I've got a sore left shoulder, uh, I just, I don't know if it's technique or not. Yeah, there's, a, there's two things that tend to stand out there. And when we look at it on the video, it's really obvious why they've got a sore shoulder because if you're swimming like most people, you might do one or two or 3000 meters at a time. And that's several thousand strokes or repetitions of the same movement. And one of those things is when people uh, come over the water, sometimes they'll have their hand, I think the best way to describe it, their hand when it goes to enter will be up quite high and their elbow will be low. So their uh, their hand is well behind their, their head as they go to enter. And that can cause a lot of, like it sort of jams up there, uh, up through their rotator cuff a little bit when the, the hand is, so yeah, that up, up there. And I know we're on video here, but that sort of position. Um, we're so both with our hands up above our head at the moment, trying to look at what each other's doing, <laughs> yeah. which is not helpful to anyone at this point. <laughs> no, that's right. So the... Uh, so what we want to try to do when we enter the water is we should enter fingertips first and have our, at, at that point, have our elbow just above the water. And then when you, you do enter and you're reaching forwards, try and get the hand down to about the same depth as, depth as your shoulder when you're reaching forwards in front. So that's where we want to be. But if we pause that with a lot of swimmers, their hand is like up near the surface and sometimes above the water as well, because only their elbow has entered and their hand hasn't yet. And so that's a really uncomfortable position because those overhead movements, as you know, you're not that strong there and it's just, it's not great for the shoulder. So that's one. So we want to try and just make sure that they enter fingers first and then get the hand down to the shoulder depth. Yeah. And just from a physio's perspective, that, that position where you've got your elbow potentially entering the water first and, and your hand above it is a end of range position for your shoulder. And, and as a summary for most of your body, your body doesn't like either being in an end of range position for a long time or going into an end of range position repetitively. So that 
uh, dive or, or where you enter with your fingers first makes a huge, it's a, a subtle but huge difference for your shoulder where it's not taking it to the end of its range and bashing it against the wall all the time. So, I mean, even though I'm not a swimming coach, I can probably give some you know, biomechanical um, background as to why that, <clears throat> that would definitely cause shoulder pain. Makes sense. Yeah, that's, uh, that's perfect. Cause I like to hear it from your end as well, because I, I see it and I can help correct it, but then, you know, as, as what you do, what's that, what does that mean for you? So that's, that's interesting. And that makes a lot of sense. And the other one is people over being too, trying to overpower the, the catch from, from that position as well. So when they're on their side, they're reaching forwards as they go to then start the, the catch. So start the hand moving. Some people will try and do that with too much force straight away. So again, they're in that end of range position and they're trying to muscle their way through that next part. And as you said, it's that end of range position. So you sort of compromise a little bit. You're not that strong. And the thing about it is you don't really get that much extra. You don't get any extra speed from trying to rip hard when you're there, because I, I think of the catch. So that first quarter, first third as the setup phase, when your hand's moving through the water, then after that, as your hand is almost going underneath your shoulder there, that's more the power phase. And it shows when we actually look at when we measure the power of uh, of good swimmers is that's where they apply the most force is like just in front of their shoulder and um, and sort of under that part. So use the catch as the setup phase and not the power phase. Um, yeah, so don't go too hard too early. So it's, they're the they're the main ones where we see injuries happening. Mate, that that's super interesting. I'm definitely guilty of that second one, particularly on my left hand side. I feel like my left hand side's a little bit weaker than my right. I'm right handed. So I'm always thinking in my catch phase, I'll just pull a little bit harder. And I definitely am guilty of pulling from what you've just described a little bit too early in, in that catch phase. And it probably, to be honest, it, it probably causes some irritation to my shoulder. Um, I'm going to write that down and take note of that and, and try that when I'm uh, swimming a point to point with the, the Bondi Salties this Friday morning. Yeah, that's in it's interesting, isn't it? So, and the other thing about that too, is if you're out the front and you're, and you're going hard, initially you're only going to be pushing down on the water with your yeah. hand and forearm. So you haven't quite got the hand and forearm angling back behind you. So that's the other reason we don't really want to want to do it. And you don't want to be completely like loose and relaxed with it. Uh, you still need that little bit of pressure with it, but uh, yeah, we want to back it off a bit. There's it makes complete sense. Cause I, I imagine that everything in the swimming stroke is about trying to create forwards propulsion. So if I'm just, if I'm, putting a lot of power when my palm's facing down and it's not creating any forwards propulsion, then it, it, I mean, not only is it too much load on my shoulders, it's probably wasted energy as well. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. And there's one more that comes to mind. I see it less often, but it can certainly cause some shoulder irritation is the recovery. So when the arm comes over the top of the water, we want to, you, a pretty common way to think of that recovery is a high elbow recovery. So you've got your high elbow catch, which is in the water. Another thing that coaches will talk about is like high elbow with your recovery. Uh, all, the way I think of that is your elbow. So the point of your elbow should be pointing mostly up to the sky as your arm comes over the top of the water. Some people who aren't coming over correctly, their elbow will point behind them. So almost towards where their feet would be as they come through. And if you think about being in a horizontal position, uh, so on your side a little bit, but with that elbow pointing behind you, 
very limited with your range. And it's again, just that rotator cuff, it gets, gets smashed as it goes through there. So we, that's why we need to get that elbow pointing up and it's just much, much easier. So that's another one that can, can cause it. And it's pretty common to see people recovering with that elbow pointing behind them instead. So we just need to get them to almost lead with the elbow or think of like the efforts coming from the elbow as your arm comes over the top of the water. And that will allow your hand and forearm to relax a little bit as you come through. Whereas if you feel like the arm's coming over because of the hand, like that tension's through the hand, that often causes the elbow to point behind you. Shoulder injuries must be really common in swimming. The other one I get a lot. So one more question before we, we uh, pause this podcast and go to our second one about more about training principles. Um, lower back pain and technique, Brenton. Um, lower back pain is the most common musculoskeletal condition in Australia. Um, swimmers aren't going to avoid it, although it is a very good exercise for people who do have lower back pain. So what have you got to tell us about lower back pain and swimming? Yeah, you probably you normally find it with open water swimmers more than a pool swimmer because they've got to look up to sight. So it's really common there. So it's often either from looking too far forwards when you swim normally, or it can just be from that, that siding. So it, it can be a little bit hard to avoid if you are going open water because you've obviously got to lift up. But the way I would try to reduce that pain or that pressure through the, the lower back is when you do sight, which is just when you're looking forwards at where you're going, try to, first of all, do the sight and breathe method of, of sighting. Um, if you look up sight and breathe effortless swimming, there's a video on YouTube that, that will explain it. Um, but basically, it's like it, when you do want to look forwards, look up on one stroke. And on the next stroke, turn your head to the side to breathe instead of maybe having your head up for two or three strokes, which is just a longer time in that position. And it's just, it's harder work. So you want to make sure you're sighting the right way. So sight and breathe is, is the easiest way to do it. And secondly, try and get that, the head up by lifting through your chest rather than uh, perhaps keeping everything sort of straight and your hips have to drop or that, that pressure going into the, the lower back there. So you wanna sort of like arch through the, the chest a bit more uh, to take some of that, that pressure off as you do look forwards. Yeah, and for people who are sitting down all day and then they go out as their sport, uh, swimming as their sport, I imagine that thoracic extension, which is what you just described as lifting up through your chest, like that becomes more and more of a challenge for people. Brenton, yeah. thank you so much for your tips on technique. Uh, for everyone who's listening, Stay tuned to our next episode. Have a listen to Brenton talk about some of the training principles. Find out uh, which pair of goggles you need to wear, whether you should be wearing a wetsuit or rolling out your budgie smugglers, how many times a week you need to train, and also how you mix strength training with swim training as well.